welcome to the joyfulness broadcast today i've got someone back who has been with us for a long time eric welcome back again dude always a pleasure man it is our conversations uh always emerge into something very beautiful yeah well just before this we were talking about some stuff that got clarified for me through speaking to you um because we both for whatever reason are familiar i mean i think it's beautiful um familiar with hawking's and with charles eisenstein um and so able to play around with those yeah so what's up you're in costa rica right <laughs> yeah just packed up uh, at the beginning of the new year uh, shipped myself down to south america from toronto canada so i've been five weeks in costa rica packing up and moving along to mexico this weekend it's been nice to have a, a change of context it it is always a powerful reminder just how much your environment influences you yeah. and how much you can influence your environment. And yeah, the shift has been really nice. So how do you find shifting context influences you like moving countries and. Uh, particularly if you're talking about something like the city you grew up in or your parents' house or something like that, those things have like behavioral gravities to them mm. or like momentum where it is, it's like um, if you rub a stick on a piece of wood, right? The groove forms and then it becomes extremely more likely that you'll just be rubbing down the groove. Like it is so much easier uh, in familiar environments to fall into the exact same types of behavior that you uh, had previously in those contexts and in those environments. Um, and yeah, you know, we can spend so much time, energy, resources on like trying to change your life through discipline and willpower and just overcoming the gravity that already lives there. Or, you know, you could just pack up and move somewhere where you don't have those existing like uh, predetermined behavioral patterns. And so it becomes a lot easier to just embody new ways of being at that point. Um, so I think to give specifics on that, picking up new behaviors or habits is much easier for me if I just park up to a new location rather than trying to slowly build it in, in, a, in an old place. Um, I think that makes total doses. Sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I think doses of just gratitude and seeing more of the beauty of humanity. Like it's amazing. You know, I don't speak a lot of Spanish. I can kind of navigate myself through coffee shops and airports and that's about it. Um, but it's amazing like how much communication you can do without words. Mm. So actually, again, coming to appreciate the importance of nonverbals and just how you actually show up and, and sit and face people. Um, yeah, there's a lot of either travel in small groups or independent travel can just bring up a lot in you. Like it brings up fear, self-doubt, uh, judgments on other people and cultures. And so it becomes actually really good material to work with if you're trying to sort out some stuff in yourself because it holds things up. It holds it up like a really powerful mirror in front of you to say, wow, you know, I've never, I've never been to this culture, but I have so many assumptions about them. Where did I get those? You know, why do I hold these judgments when they're entirely unfounded? So there are a lot of good things I think that can come from just completely uprooting and, and parking up somewhere else. 
Yeah. Oh, no, I, I totally see what you mean by the, I think you said it well, like gravitational well of like, for example, being at home, living at home, I can see there are certain behaviors that, but um, they like I gra would gravitate towards like, even I actually found it <laughs> because in the past I would always, when I ate, like sit on the living room couch and just like watch something. And I, I found myself I this, in this situation where I was like scrolling through it. And I'm like, I don't actually like none of this stuff. I don't want to watch anything, but it's like I'm addicted. <laughs> it's quite a, quite a pull. Um, even and breaking that was quite difficult, actually, I found. So instead, I just enjoyed it. <laughs> and it, it fell apart, um, sort of still falling apart, but I can see how um, it loosened. Yeah, so I found there's this um, much easier, I don't know maybe if you've experienced it, but there's this easier way, because you were talking also about effort and discipline. And you know, that's that's got a place like everything's got a place but i found there's a much easier way to like go about change or changing things um called enjoying it <laughs> as it is and if i found that as i enjoy something as it is it like i don't know it starts to break away the worry and the guilt and the shame associated with it and as that stuff like starts to break away, there's like an inner freedom now. And yeah. then spontaneously, it's not really me doing anything, but spontaneously, eventually a decision arises that was different to the decision set that was made before. Spontaneously, just via enjoyment and observation. Like it's pretty cool. And then to tie it into science, the, the Heisenhorn, I don't know if you watched one of the, the videos where Hawkins talks about if you want to stop eating cookies, just observe them <laughs> and count how many cookies you eat each day. And then over time, just observing it will change it. And so in my own experiences, we call that the Heisenberg principle in quantum mechanics, how just observing something can change the uh, outcome of the experiment. In my own experience, it's more um, like enjoyment and observation, just enjoying it and actually being like, well, why am I not enjoying it? Why am I worrying about this? So in that, in that way, I actually, um, cause I've, I've, I've come to see that you can, your intentional, your intentionality will subserve wherever you are to the highest good. So if you're at home and like where I'm facing all these patterns, the intentionality to observe and enjoy will subserve as like optimal growth opportunity or growth environment. And then when you're overseas, the same thing will happen. So I'm sure if I went and, you know, it was the case also in New Zealand, when I went to travel, the intentionality was the same. So the environment was different, but like that intentionality subserved it. It was really cool. I just like that um, point because then it doesn't really matter where you are. You can go anywhere and do anything and it doesn't matter because it will still be a growth opportunity if you want it to be basically. Yeah, but I found the enjoyment. Have you tried the enjoyment and the cookies and obs observing to change behavioral patterns before? Uh, not exactly in that context, but the way that landed for me, A, I think you're 100% right to start. I think you're 100% right. Um, the, the way that landed for me is there's like this... It's like this cheeky thing your subconscious or your soul or whatever will do if you don't think you can do something it gets that like defiant like well what do you mean i can't i'm gonna do it 
I'm going to do it. And so if you keep telling yourself like, yo, I can't slack off. I can't procrastinate. I can't be doing these things. It's not cool enough. It's not smart enough. It's not disciplined enough. Like you're probably going to do it more and more just to get this signal through. It's like, yo, you're actually allowed to do whatever you want. Like you don't have to prove yourself. You don't have to justify yourself. So I'm going to show you and we're going to do that. And I think to your point, like there comes a moment where it's like, if I actually sit here and I say, I'm allowed to do this and like just fully embrace that, then you actually won't have to do it. And the opportunity opens up to go do whatever else you want. But if you say that you can't, you're pretty much going to have to do that through just continued patterns until you, yeah, rewrite that that notion of I have to be somewhere else or I have to yeah. be someone other than I am. So yeah, that well, you'll you know, suffer. Yeah, well. acceptance. You'll suffer. Mm-hmm. What I find interesting, right? So I've said that because I think this is something that comes up, right? So for example, weight loss, let's say, or quitting smoking, you know, these habits that are considered bad and that they should be changed. So I find, so if you don't want it there, any habit that is considered bad by our own judgments, <laughs> if you don't want it there and you're still, it's still there, there's the suffering. But if you enjoy it and you allow it to be as it is, and you actually not just allow it, but enjoy it as it is, then, I mean, regardless whether it changes or not, or how fast it changes, because it will change, but regardless of how fast it changes, there is an enjoyment of it. And there's no suffering because you're at like one with, you're at one with it. So there's no difference between the personal will and what's going on. It's a unification. So there's no friction. So there's no suffering. There's no resistance. And there's just enjoyment. And so if, even if you are fat and, you know, or since smoking, chain smoking all the time, at least now you're enjoying it. There's no guilt or shame about it. So it doesn't really matter in that sense. And then it's just a matter of preference, but then it tends to just um, change automatically. Yeah. To me, when this, I like this method because it shows me how little power the will has, to be honest, (laughs) Um, you know, like to, like if I'm eating cookies and I'll say, which I do, I still do. (laughs) And I'll say, no, I don't want to um that doesn't really work for pretty much everything so i found this enjoyment and allowing to be just a lot more practical a lot more easy um relying on the heisenberg principle instead of to tie it into science instead of like this illusion that the will is very strong and can overcome things because it's really quite weak like the personal will um is pretty weak yeah (laughs) a hundred percent damn this has been coming up for me a lot lately, this sense of like, I think there's, there's actually a point, you know, you get into like philosophy 101 in school or something. And there's like the free will versus determinism debate. You know, if you live life or does life live with you? And I think there comes a part, and this is directly tied into your point on like acceptance and just appreciating the beauty of what the heck is unfolding in front of you. I think there comes a point where it actually just doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, or, or it doesn't matter because they're the same damn thing. Like what I want to do and what life is doing are the same thing mm. because I am a part of life. I am part of the fabric of being right. This goes into like, it also depends on kind of your metaphysics or ontology. It's like, look, you are not separate from everything going on here. Right. And if everything going on here is good and 
perfect as it is, so is everything that goes on inside of you, right? Just as it comes up. And yeah, if there actually is something that bubbles up that says, you know, I want to see what I'm made of. I want to push myself. I want to do cool stuff. That's awesome. And if it's, you know, I want to relax, hang out with friends, see places in the world. That's also totally cool. Like, yeah, I think there just comes a point where it's like, I don't actually care if it was my will that came up with this or if it was life's will that's funneling through me because A, it's beautiful. B, it's all unfolding here and now. And C, I want to see where it goes. I want to see where it goes. Like there's, yeah. This this seems to land on this. um, There seems to be a fundamental orientation people have of do you view reality as a problem to be solved or as something to be experienced? Because if it's just like a really difficult question and you have to solve it, yeah, you know, you're going to like struggle and work at that all the time. But if it's just something that needs to be experienced, like all you need to do is show up and just be with the juiciness of the here and now. (laughs) See how it is. See how you're feeling. See what's going on and just ride with that. Mm. Yeah, to be enjoyed. Um, just to be enjoyed as it is. But like, it's so simple. It always comes back to me. It's a very like a really simplistic, simplistic essence. Very simple. Like, if you enjoy life, then you enjoy it. And if you don't, then you don't. And so then it doesn't really matter. Like you were saying about that, that, that you are life. That there's no more a difference between um, the personal and and there's a story and, and how life is presenting itself that i recently heard and to me that's like i was like wow it's so beautiful it was about um a monk monk father like a christian monk in somewhere in you know the where moses the tablets of moses that mountain somewhere there there's a monastery there and there's this monk and he was telling the story of how this man was walking up the um because if they want water they have to go down to the to the well and get so he was walking down to the well and he picked up some water and then he walked up again and then this monk said how the devil came and threw it from him and he pushed him down and then the monk without saying a single word picked up the jar again and went back down to get some water and then he walked up the mountain the devil again hit it out of his hands and the monk said nothing and went back down he did this seven times until he until whatever until it whatever he took is whatever it took you know i think that was like such a beautiful ideal to have for ourselves um or to be that to be that is to me really beautiful way to enjoy life because then it doesn't matter how many times you fall down or how many times something happens just you know um there's no there's no suffering there even though something happens it's like yeah okay it's not even a yeah okay it's just you do, it's automatic and spontaneous it's just a this is what happens and now this is what happens and this is what happens and now this is what happens and there's no um preferences or about it or i just thought that was such a beautiful story because those monks are like the epitome of humility to me and like uh surrender surrender to god and i'm sure they go through a lot of shit <laughs> a lot of things because you were saying how in the in the monastery which I hadn't heard of before. <clears throat> like the life of a monk is to um, expected to face demons and to face the devil himself. And he will come I'm like, wow. <laughs> um, initially when I like 
because I had experiences with civil, like, no, I wouldn't say little sort of those kind of sort of demonic entities. <laughs> um, initially, uh, after you kind of, after I realized that there was like this whole other realm, which was experientially true, um, there was a lot of paranoia, but then through the paranoia, there was something quite beautiful, whereas like just another thing to accept, just another, like it is what it is. I might not understand it, don't quite comprehend it, but this is how it is. And yeah, but there's definitely quite a lot of paranoia. So I'm sorry to anyone who might have heard paranoia now about that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just thought that was a beautiful story. Yeah. Yeah. The way that landed for me was like immediate non judgmental reaction. Like just, okay, life did a thing. What's my, what's my move here? Doesn't matter what it was. And, like yeah i think i think people think there comes a point where like quote unquote problems disappear or like adverse events just stop happening entirely and that's not true i think it's just a reframing of how you perceive them or it's like all right this is the move right life just did this what am i going to do and it becomes yeah this is where all the like the cliche phrases come you know you get to start like dancing with life where it's like, all right, you move that way, I'm going to move this way. You move that way, I'm going to move this way. And you're just kind of following along, going with it. You know, this is where I think a lot of the Taoist flow stuff comes from. It's just life is unfolding and flowing in front of you. You can either swim against the current or you can move with it. Mm. And sometimes the way it moves is it looks like obstacles. Like, yeah, you run into someone, you get dirt on your clothes, you know, you lose a job or something. And yeah, we all sit with, I don't want reality to be this way. But there is a there is a reality you can live in where it's like, okay, I see your move. What am I going to do now? <laughs> and it just becomes, a, you know, it doesn't, doesn't have to have the attachment of like, oh, this is devastating. Oh, I wish this didn't happen. It can actually just be like, oh, okay, I see you. Here's my next move. And you just go along your way. You, you hit the... The, the, the reframing, the nail on the head, the reframing stuff is so powerful um, and so overlooked. Um, how we can, if you take the same thing, there are so many ways to look at it. And some ways bring more suffering than others. And some ways bring less suffering than others. And other ways bring no suffering. <laughs> and it's all in the perception. And it's all in reframing. So you can take anything. And for example, like let's say it's something that's, like a really extreme situation or one of the worst things that could happen um whatever that might be for the person because that's individual <laughs> um mm -hmm. like the reframing to me that always that can always be reframed and anything can be reframed with is surrender and i think that one is really powerful um you can take anything and reframe it as an opportunity to deepen in surrender and that's where, like for me, when I, when there's suffering that comes up um, and there's resistance and I can feel it, um, it's an opportunity to deepen in my, in the sincerity of my surrender and of prayer to deepen um, because that's how it is. <laughs> and when the surrender deepens and the sincerity, you can deepen the surrender to a point where it doesn't matter anymore, like we were saying before. And so if it does matter, then that's an indication that it doesn't not yet matter to you, which means that 
is an opportunity to deepen surrender. Simple as that. And then whether there's a willingness or whether there's an unwillingness to do so. Um, and then if there's an unwillingness to explore that, be like, well, what's that mean? <laughs> yeah. Why, what is the unwillingness about? Maybe I'm enjoying it. Maybe I'm enjoying it. Um, that, that requires quite a lot of honesty. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that, the reframing is so powerful. So, so powerful. Yeah, the surrender one is huge. Absolutely huge. Because I, I think for perhaps a lot of Western culture, or at least man, even global culture, surrender is seen as this like weak, feeble activity where like it's only the losing group that ever surrenders right it's it's viewed it's viewed negatively um but like full surrender is actually a very courageous act it requires a lot of trust in yourself it requires a lot of trust in life like man people have a hard enough time just trusting a themselves b other people to be able to fully trust that life is going to work for you is intense. It takes a lot to actually just fully be like, okay, you know, I might not understand why this is happening, particularly if it is something like, you know, you got an injury, you lost your job, someone in your family died. Like to surrender into that is challenging. It's mm. very challenging. Yeah. It is a muscle that you can build. Like you can get better. You can yeah. increase your capacity to surrender. But yeah, to view it as this like feeble weakness, I think is entirely incorrect. And to your whole point, like it's actually just reframing the value of surrendering. Or it's actually very courageous to be like, I don't even know why I'm here. I'm going to instead default towards it's a good thing that I'm here. It's actually benevolent. It was given to me instead of something for me to just go through. Yeah. And yeah, it takes takes some work to do that. But again, I think the more for someone who has the monk story, I actually really love that. Like you could argue that someone who has fully surrendered would act like that, where it's like whatever it is that comes up in front of you, there's this immediate reaction of like, okay, this is good or I can, I can work with this. And then, yeah, they just move right along with it. Mm. But it took that trust and surrender to get to that state without, you know, the, the hissy fits in between or the yeah. you know, ruminations on it afterwards, just the, okay, this is what's happening. I I'm with it. I'm here for you. I trust you. All right, let's go. But the key is that to so total surrender includes all, including the hissy fits. So if the hissy fits are coming up and there's yes. like, I don't want this to be there to then surrender to that and not have a, well, I find instead of saying not to just ask questions instead is quite helpful. So like if there's an agitation or a hissy fit about something to ask whether to start with that one. So like, okay, I'm agitated and frustrated by this, or there's an agitation and a frustration by it to speak more accurately. <laughs> um, will will I be frustrated about the frustration or welcome it as it is? Because as I see it, those are really the only two choices we ever have is to either welcome it or not. Um, yeah. And if, and, and sort of, it's like, sort of like taking wherever we're at and then going deeper to the deepest level, starting there 
and then just welcoming it there. And it's almost like all, to me, it's not really effort, but it does bring up a lot of resistance because the yeah, process is uncovering a lot of resistance. Like that's the whole thing. If it wasn't there, then there would be nothing to let go of. <laughs> yeah. um, so it's like, it's actually not an effortful process. It's quite like um, effortless in nature in the sense that it's just a matter of awareness, bringing awareness to things but it's actually quite difficult to bring awareness to like very simply to become aware of things you don't want to become aware of brings up a lot of difficulty <laughs> and a lot of pain, um, a lot of suffering. But if that suffering is met with, and then also welcomed, then well, it's there anyway. So at least it's going to move through faster now instead of stay, stay with us. Um, which actually brings up, I was in the car and I had, I, to me, prayer is such an important part of my life. Like I, I can't see myself living without it, to be honest. I don't know how, um, I just don't understand how I could be because I don't rely on my own will at all. I rely completely on, on grace to reveal things. <laughs> so I would pray always for recontextualization. That's like a very powerful prayer that I don't think many people realize is available. It's available. Like that's... <laughs> to just ask, may this be recontextualized in the light of truth or in the light of a, of peace or, or of understanding. Um, and what, for, to me, every time I pray, I always, always, that exception, sooner or later, there is a response. And usually it's quite fast. And so suddenly, out of nowhere, um, this recontextualized com recontextualization comes because I've learned that I can't actually make myself see things we can't make ourselves see things differently so that's where prayer is to me like a crucial component because it's not in my hands but i it what is in my hand is my surrender and my prayer um so that is in my hands but whether it actually occurs and when it occurs that's god's timing i don't know <laughs> but i was in the car and there was like um it was to do with feelings like what and resistance to feelings why there was so much resistance to feelings and sort of letting, it was about wording actually. Um, so why why do we why do we resist feelings? And if we, and and it was like a moving back away to identify more with so taking the wire analogy with the wire instead of the the electron flowing through it. So in the same sense, where like the where that which allows the feelings to come through not the feeling itself, but when there's this identification with the persona and the feeling states, then there's a lot of suffering and a lot of pain because we're trying to hold on to something that we're not and it passes naturally anyway. But when we see that we're that which allows it all to be, um, just a simple reframing again of what we are. <laughs> Always. Yeah. Then it, everything changes because it's just a natural, natural release. Just even to do it a little bit, yeah, it's not even an all or nothing thing. Just to notice a tiny bit makes this huge compounding effect over time. Um, because the more you notice it, the more you notice it um, over time. Yeah, it's so powerful. Just a simple... Yeah, you actually... Yeah, you spoke... That was a beautiful point. And it was actually something we had touched on right before we started recording. You know, the idea that I think a lot of people as they get started in some sort of inner awareness exploration work, it becomes, I think the first 
thing people accept as unfolding perfect and naturally is the outer world, the world that they see. You know, it's like, okay, yes, I, I trust, I have faith that this is all happening. It's all happening for a good reason that it's happening exactly as it needs to be. But there's this kind of like hiccup or gap in between the acceptance of, oh, but that also means that everything inside of me is part of that and happening just as it needs to be and is totally welcome as well. You know, it's easy to buy in the world running perfectly, but there's this, there's still this gap. There's still this dualism of, yeah, but I'm not working perfectly yet. You know, so yeah, your, your catch there of like, yeah. And if you are frustrated by that, well, welcome that too. That's coming up for a reason. That is part of the whole thing unfolding. It's just this relentless. Oh man. It's like this relentless burning down of the gap you feel between you and everything else. Mm. Like you are part of everything that is unfolding. And if everything that is unfolding is going exactly as planned, so is what the heck is going on inside of you. <laughs> and you have you're like this dual awareness, the the thing going on inside and of the thing going on outside. Like it's you see this a lot in the spiritual community. Like, yeah, the world is perfect, but I just need to do a little bit of work. Mm. It's like wait, no, you're not separate from the whole thing. You're not, you're part of it. And if the whole thing is perfect, then so are you. And whatever, even your frustration, your hissy fits, or your sense that the world isn't perfect and there's stuff that could be done is also (laughs) perfect and part of the thing. You know, we were talking like life is basically centered around creating novelty and synthesizing it for evolution and so yeah part of that is wow i actually think things could be a little bit different so let me make it introduce some novelty maybe it gets accepted and culture and self evolve from that like yeah if you see things differently or if you think things aren't perfect you can welcome that too that's also perfect (laughs) it's just funny how simple it is and how that escapes awareness just to okay so you take anything that you it's like to me maybe a great analogy is pulling on a thread and you can take whatever whatever's coming up for you and if you pull whatever's coming up you're going to get to the same source because it's all coming from the same source so you can take anything and just by welcoming whatever that is and everything it brings up and welcoming it all as a whole instead of as in, in parts like you can do it in parts but overall welcome the whole you get led to the same thing and if you welcome everything then nothing bothers you it always comes back to that to me (laughs) it's so simple um if you welcome everything nothing bothers you if you don't welcome something stuff bothers you the more you don't welcome the more you're bothered by stuff that's it (laughs) yeah yeah you're, you're spot on there and this has been coming up for me a lot um damn for a while of like well actually this goes, I think this might go back to the viewing life as a problem to be solved or a question to be answered versus experienced. Because um, actually, when you start looking, a lot of the answers to big questions are pretty readily available, whether through texts, wisdom traditions, or your own direct experience. The real hard part is actually embodying whatever the truth points at like bringing it down into a natural habitual response. You know, it's easy if you're frustrated to just 
parrot like oh this is perfect too this is perfect too but if you don't actually feel it like what is that doing for you <laughs> right to have the i think the tough work is actually to let those those truths and those experiences sink like deeply into your bones yeah. so that you don't even need to get to the point of like reminding yourself that oh yes this is part of the unfolding it's all very good it just becomes like the monk like i don't need to say anything i'm not even flinching this is good i'm reacting to it let's keep going like and that that has to so deep into your bones for that and that can be that can be really challenging yeah because life will just start presenting you yes all these situations <laughs> where it's like oh your family member's dead oh man some great global catastrophe oh man you're really uh you're having trouble in your relationship and it's like here's your practice to nod your head and say yeah okay welcome hello thank you <laughs> that's that's one of the oh. very powerful reframings to me is to bring awareness to the fact that if you do choose this and it is a choice and you don't have to but if you do choose to um value being the one that welcomes everything and welcome everything until nothing bothers you and so be free well the nature of that quest or that process is that it, life brings to you everything that bothers you that's the whole process <laughs> everything that bothers you that's the only thing that has to be welcomed what doesn't bother you you're not even aware of because it doesn't bother you it already has passed so we don't i think it's like we don't realize how much doesn't bother us we only ever focus on what does um it's like that bias so that's and then it can be really easy to get like down on ourselves and tough and forget all the progress that we have already done or already like we're already made <laughs> um and to all just remember that this is actually what i think they're just the knowingness that this is what i chose is something that really helps because then there's like very little room for complaints like sure there's still a humanness that comes up that's fine but like there's no really room for deep existential kind of complaints <laughs> like why has god done this to me it's more like well i've chosen this and this is being given to me what am i going to do with it that's up to me so like the tougher it is the better it is in the sense because if that's what it is then that's what it is and that's what was it within you anyway and now it's coming up to awareness so at least it's in awareness now because if it, it was there before you just weren't aware of it and it was like pervading life in lots of different ways that you just didn't see it's the same case for me uh, as well for everyone there's like all this stuff the tougher it is the better it is <laughs> because then it's it's like in awareness now and i think the iceberg like i was watching just those the apple tv has like this thing where if you don't watch anything it'll turn into all the beautiful scenery um <clears throat> and there were icebergs and i thought wow it's just a great one just a great analogy for like life in general and the the psyche and for whatever comes up generally in my experience whatever comes up is only like a tip of the iceberg and as you welcome it it's going to bring up a lot of shit so in my view it's better to be to expect that to be prepared for that um rather than kind of be naive about it and not expect it because if, if it doesn't come and if if that mess doesn't come, you won't be disappointed. There'll just be gratitude. But if it does come, 
then there won't be disappointment either <laughs> and it'll be easier to accept it um yeah and it is tough you've been saying it is tough i think it experientially it is quite tough it's the toughest thing there is actually in the human experience to welcome things that you don't want so simple but that's really <laughs> and to look at the ego as it is because it's quite a tenacious creature um and it pervades our lives in so many different ways that um are difficult to accept uh through the lens of like how we grow up and that's why it's quite a lot of work and it takes like to me it took quite a lot to break it down tremendous amount of agony was required to break down the ego break it apart like extremely had a very big ego <laughs> still there still there so it's quite oh man it's a lot of surrender but it's so simple at the same time so simple to just welcome things as they are let go um <laughs> and so hard easy and hard at the same time that's how i see it yeah yeah what came up for me hearing that was like until you've done it you can't do it like if you're trying to do high jumping like until you've actually jumped two meters you haven't done it yet right it sounds like super basic like until you've sunk a three-pointer in basketball you've never done it before and so it's easy for us to say like oh yeah you know i'm gonna welcome everything but until you've actually had to welcome very difficult things you know that's just empty speech at that point mm. and so yeah it's actually very you know it's funny enough it's like a great gift that the world gives you the opportunity to actually put what you say into practice and it can be i think the difficult part is actually noticing uh the ways that we don't live up to that mm -hmm. oh, i said i was such a welcoming person i said i accepted everyone and yet i'm being held up all the ways i'm judgmental to people and that pang of like oh i don't actually embody the things that i say can be really hurtful and it can be tough to look at but yeah you know what a what a great opportunity that life is on your side and it will just serve you with all these opportunities to put those things into practice yeah exactly so recognize that it's done like yeah it's it's amazing and over time it becomes easier you know your muscle gets built uh bigger at it and you build momentum and then it just becomes the process just completes itself at that point yeah it's both the means and the end i think that's a really surrender it's both like the means and the end <laughs> because it's the through the process of surrender that you become the one that is surrendered completely um and then there's no problems i don't see how there could be, ever be a problem if you're completely surrendered <laughs> they, they can't it's an impossibility as i see it maybe i'm wrong but i don't know if nothing bothers you what can bother you you know <laughs> it has to be a yeah, very like deep surrender course very deep very deep yeah you know actually the simple point coming up for me right here is like problems only become problems through framing mm. right you have to look at a thing a certain way for it to be a problem and so yeah reframing is the very fundamental answer to all of this like if you reframe problems they literally disappear and that's that's where i think people get caught up where you know you all Oh, yeah. people talk about like sages and saints and all these people as like floating around and you know living in bliss states which i don't think is exactly true but it's it's also i think true that they didn't have problems 
because problems are framed. And if you just let go of that framing, your problems go away. That doesn't mean that a third party wouldn't say, oh, that's actually challenging right there. You know, they're going to have to put in some effort for that. Yeah, that's always going to be true. But that doesn't make it a problem. A problem is your perspective on it. And you can drop those things. Yeah. Definitely hard, but it's possible. Yeah, yeah. Well, a great one is... Um... Because I've I've heard, I've heard of the the state sages and mystics, you know, they do. There's there's those that live in states of bliss. There's those that don't interact with the world and just are blissed out somewhere, that don't want anything to do with it. These are the people that actually uplift the whole world because of what they are, <laughs> not because of what yep. they do. But then there's also those that are very different and go through very different things for whatever reason that is between their soul and God, whatever. Like Mother Teresa, for example, for 50 years was going through a very dark place. <laughs> very, very dark. From Just from her writings, you get the sense that it was this very dark emptiness that was there. It was sort of like, yeah, after experiencing the presence of, of Christ, it then went away and there was for 50 years, well, 50 years. Um, and she wrote that in her letters, in letters her to, to her nuns, only very close to her death, I think, she revealed that that sort of stuff was going through. And I read about that in the book Power of Love. Um, and also, I just enjoyed watching the, it's a good movie, Mother Teresa. But, you know, she's a saint and very loving and very compassionate. And there was all these challenges. And there was this incredible darkness um, with, that was being experienced. And yet there was also this incredible surrender um, to God's will and complete incredible faith and trust in spite of that. And I mean, that's amazing. That's incredible. You know, so someone might say that's bad, but it is what it is. And for whatever reason it is, which is beyond, I think, the intellect because it's very linear. It's very difficult to, uh, to understand. You can't understand the whole, actually. I don't think the intellect understand the whole you can understand components which is helpful but you know for whatever reason is that way and then someone else who's also a saint might be in the in a state of bliss why i don't know <laughs> for whatever reason that it is um and yet both are gifts and both equally serve humanity or whatever i think you mentioned it before about the what i got was like sort of dropping the better and the worst labels is actually quite quite difficult because it's pretty ingrained um and yeah. very much propagated just through unconsciously everything <laughs> um and you, know, you can also feel it you can feel it like you can feel people's or, or even around like welcoming accepting it becomes hard for me when i'm around someone and i can feel feel the stuff coming up um because it's like sort of like directed at but it's also coming from within them so letting that flow through also, that's where you're saying like life brings to you this opportunity to live what you, you know, be, let be that which, which welcomes, because I mean, there's really no use in speaking about it if you're not being it, <laughs> it, sh it should be the other way, the other way it's, it's first you be it and then you share it. Um, but yeah, I've noticed there's a sneaky one in my ego that it first likes to speak about it in some things. And then, and so I've been letting go of that more now. 
because see the tr- trouble is it sounds nice it sounds nice to speak about things always but it's so different if one person says it than if someone says someone else says it you know so like if someone who never has let go of anything says let go and surrender it's very different to someone who is like let's say victor frankl says you know that's why i think his quotes are so powerful like where he says that anything can be taken from a man except his attitude the last of the human freedoms the way he chooses to deal with something reframe it um is up to him and victor frankl is someone who literally probably went under some of the worst circumstances available for the human experience like a, a concentration camp and he said that so there's just so much more weight to what he said whereas someone else might say the same thing and will be like yeah no so that's quite a tricky trap of the ego i found yeah yeah like for me there's just a a really practical example of like would you take business consulting from someone who has never built a business <laughs> like probably not like talking about something only takes you so far and i think yeah i fully agree with your point there's a in speaking about something you can kind of give yourself the sense that you've already done it mm. like ah, i can i can conceptualize what the process is like to do this and if i know that well obviously i can do it and it's like that is not the case that is not the case at all you know i think a really nice framework for this is uh john verveke talks about the uh the four ways of knowing and they go from highly abstract conceptual to highly embodied like in the world and a lot of damn i think a lot of western culture is stuck on the top on the top highly conceptual ways of knowing it's like propositional knowing like if i can just say about something if i can talk about it i obviously know it there's procedural right if i can talk about the steps to get the thing done then i have a level of knowing about it uh, and those two, right? If I can talk about how how to build a beautiful rocking chair out of wood, well, obviously I can do it. And it's like, if I gave you a piece of wood, I highly doubt you could build me a rocking chair. Like there's a huge level of disconnect in between, but you know, our, our mind just tricks us into like, well, yeah, you know, I can, you know, like the phrase, uh, you know, I can wrap my head around it. I got it. I got it. Like, we're cool. Like I can conceptualize what it takes in my head. So obviously I can do it in life. It's like, that's just not true at all. And yeah, I think there's a way you can just drill it in yourself to avoid that where it's like, yo, I need to know these things at the level of direct embodied participatory experience. Hmm. Like I know them once they become so deeply ingrained in me that they're habitual. That's like a deep knowing. That's also like the, uh, Oh, wow, I like this tie-in. That's also what like the Gnostics were all about. You know, they, they were like the dark knowledge of God, the direct experience, the felt presence of God, not the, oh yeah, the Bible told me about him. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, not that I hadn't just learned. It's like, no, I want a direct experience of, you know, the love of God, the bright white light, the all-encompassing being, the, the ground of reality. Mm. And yeah, you know, that was highly confrontational to the church you know, the arbiter of power and they were largely marginalized for that. But like, this is also, (laughs) yeah, honestly. And I think this is what, 
I have been, I think this is what a lot of like non-dual teachers point at, which is like direct experience, period. Mm. Like you need to come into direct experience of all of this stuff. Direct experience of everything that you say you can do. Direct experience of what you can prove is real. Direct experience of the truth. And like, yeah, anything that you can't validate through direct experience, like be very wary of. No, that's very, I see that actually um, just with the presence of, so I see, I see that as quite a large, you know, so I think faith is quite beautiful. It's very beautiful. And I think it actually takes quite a lot of strength to have faith um, in something that you haven't seen. Like it takes a lot of strength, a lot of courage. Absolutely. There's a lot of doubt that um, is very easy to surface in that sort of situation at the same time i think there's this limitation that i've seen uh with religion in particular i mean it's in everything but expressed in religion as for example i went to the church the other day um i just really like sitting i'm jewish (laughs) by the jewish stuff you're not supposed to sit in churches but i just love churches so much um and like i would say i'm a christ is my lord but i'm not a christian if that makes sense I mean, that's just how it is. Yeah, for me. sure. Um, and I love sitting in churches and it's so beautiful and masses I find really beautiful. Anytime anyone speaks about Christ and love, I just, it's very beautiful. And so it's an Anglican church in Melbourne city. So I sort of traditional, I would suppose. Um, and it was mostly very beautiful, but I also noticed that there were times where it was so like intellectualized. It was like, Mm-hmm. saint peter is the authority this is the authority given to him and so this authority was handed down to the pope so that's what authority i speak from um it's kind of like this chain of intellectual authority if that makes sense rather than the yeah, embodiment definitely. of it and i could hear like i could it wasn't a concept it was more like i could feel like how it was coming from what i've more recently come to sense is when I'm and when others are coming from more an intellectual level and when it's coming from the true like embodiment from being it from, from much, which are two completely different realms, completely different. <laughs> um, and I could see how it was there. There was, you know, there's these ideas people have of God. There's these belief systems that people have of Christ and of God, but they're all wrong. They're all wrong. <laughs> they like, they, you know, they, but they all point to something in that sense. They all point to something, but we're always limited to our interpretation of things, which are based on whatever our experiences allow us to interpret. So without having the direct experience, it's never the thing. It's always the description and how the description is interpreted based on the limitations of experience available. And that's like the really big limitation I think of seeing because religion sees God as from just from the languaging as transcended somewhere else in time and space um which limits the experiencing of god as present right now as the source of all um yeah <laughs> so that's so different the embodiment and the intellectual damn uh this is one of my favorite topics right now I'm surprised and delighted that we uh, stumbled our way here, you know? Wow. Um, there are a few things that came up. I actually did a conversation uh, with John Verveke about the value of religion. 
I definitely agree. I think the bad rap that organized religion gets is deserved, but we throw the baby out with the bathwater if we yeah. just say, oh, because some of the modern day organized religions aren't doing stuff very well, that makes organized religion as a principle itself bad. I think that's dangerous. It's actually dangerous territory. You know, I think the simple answer for me is like, a religion should be a structured community to facilitate the direct experience of God for people, right? And I think that's how they often started. It was like a supportive community so that you could cultivate that direct relationship with God in yourself. But the thing that I see in a lot of, particularly the spiritual but not religious group that is growing faster and faster nowadays is like, A, we were just talking a lot about how difficult the process can be and to have to do it yourself, A, makes it take a lot longer. And B, you can really fuck yourself up. So actually having a community of you know elders and, and protocols and systems is very, very helpful. Yeah. There's also just the fact that you can go completely off the rails, right? You can have delusions of grandeur. You can start oh, sabotaging yeah. people. Like mm. things can go off the rails when you get towards like the, the edges of conscious experience. It can be a very harrowing place and like if only you had a community of people practicing this stuff who could help you what does that look like that looks like a religion <laughs> like like so in and of itself i don't think it's that bad although the a lot of the current manifestations have really kind of lost the target i think because yeah now it's just like gatekeepers on gatekeepers on gatekeepers of what your direct experience of the divine that's that's not great. The other, the other thing that popped up for me is, um, A, I fully agree that God is something entirely beyond form, right? If you can put a form on it, that's not the whole thing because it can't be encapsulated in one thing. Um, yogic philosophy actually has like denominations for this. I might butcher the wordings, but um, they have a distinction of two forms of samadhi, which is like union with god and one is like the beginner one is like you still conceptualize god in form like all the different yogic deities and stuff or the hindu deities where it's like look you're you're moving in the right path like you can see all the great powers and characteristics that god has but you still need an approachable form right you still need to like anthropomorphize god which mm. is getting there but it's not all the way and then the like higher level or the next step of that realization is um, having that deeply embodied or that strong recognition of the potency of God, but without form, just recognizing it as the totality of being itself. And so, yeah, there are like these progressions you can get. But, yeah, I think it's helpful for people to go through the path of like, all right, God is this dude in the sky trying to take care of me and he's looking out for me but you know how does he do that well he is this whole thing he is the person that comes up and challenges you right he is you as well for everyone else right and so just having this um this again where religion comes super helpful because it can give you sets and ecologies of practices that help move you through those realizations and help you embody them and not just have them be banal platitudes that you parrot around to people because you think it sounds cool 
Yeah. Oh, it's good. It's a, I, this is a great, great topic. Um, because I do, I mean, religion, because I was the one, I was also attacking it. <laughs> I think in the past, in the past was very much attacked, um, for the things that have been done under the banner of God and under the banner of religion. Absolutely. There's people Absolutely. who are misinterpreted or either, either on purpose or unconsciously you know, for example, the sword of truth as a literal sword to cut down people, <laughs> which exactly. is a very primitive misinterpretation, but it was a very primitive culture to be fair. So there's lots of things that were done under the banner of, of Christ, under the banner of God, that were not of God, that were not of Christ. They just used the words. Um, same with religion. And it, I think it, sure, it has. I mean, if you look at the calibrations, the church, Christianity used to calibrate at a thousand. Uh, back in the days of Christ, now it calibrates at like 450 or something. So it's still at a high level of truth, but it's severely degraded um, from its essence. But it still, I think, has a, an amazing, like um, a culture is more and more secularized, more and more secularized. Like that's mm -hmm. the normal thing. It's funny because, you know, in school, they're like, we don't want to ingrain people with doctrine of like religion. So instead they ingrain them with doctrine of secularism. <laughs> like, Honestly. yeah, what it's, it's, I didn't see that at the time. I see that now that that's what, what we're ingrained with is this secular, um, secularism and sort of this material world of blobs that bounce around and stuff, <laughs> um, which is quite absurd. And it doesn't really have a lot of room for faith or for trust, for beauty for all these things it doesn't have have really room for that so it's sort of degraded degraded quite quite a bit but i still think this, this is a beautiful thing to religion it's such a beautiful people come together in devotion to something higher than themselves <laughs> i think that's amazing that's a very beautiful thing and i think it's just there's a natural progression and some people might not want to progress beyond maybe they're just happy with and that's fine as well and i think everyone serves something and everything serves something you know like a a sage a, a sage who's blissed out wouldn't really make for a great pope <laughs> you know like the pope is still going to be in the world still got to understand and relate to the world you know like so yeah it's been attacked so much so much but it's, it's if you go there without any lenses of judgment on you what's left is just the beauty of it to me. And it's shared across whatever religion it is, Christianity, even Islam, which for me, I was not a big component of in the past. Um, still think it's got quite a low level of truth, but the devotion is what I see. The devotion of whatever religion it is. Like I went to a Buddhist temple and I saw the chanting but what I saw was not the chanting. I saw was the devotion. That's what I saw. And I saw the same devotion yep. in the, in the church. And it's so beautiful. Um, and, but the, yeah, of course the trap with, with, uh, with religion, because it's belief based is dogma. Um, and because of that, that's the challenge because of that intellectual understanding without the experience can really kind of facilitate a certain dogma um to be like this is our way this is the way without realizing that god is everything um <laughs> for directly yeah it can lead to a lot of dogma so it's ups and downs ups and downs the uh 
Carl Jung used to open a lot of his speeches with a no, sorry. Someone asked Carl Jung if he believed in God, and he basically was just silent for a little bit, and then he said, "No, I don't believe. I know." And there's something like you can actually build a religion without belief, right? If you can steward people through a direct experience with the transcendent, you actually don't need. And then you just have faith, right? I can't prove it, but I know. And yeah, just the, yeah, it is, it is an inevitable. It's almost an inevitable result where if you have a bunch of people just doing something on blind faith, on blind belief, like just someone told me, let me go do this. Yeah, it's going to degrade and erode because you don't even know why you're doing it. You were just told to do it from someone else. And it just kind of unravels and unrolls in that way. But uh, yeah, you can get a group of people who have been like, I have undeniable experience of something far beyond myself. Actually, uh, damn, I've been reading this book called The Immortality Key. And wow, it... uh. It documents this uh, essentially like a religion without a name that existed during kind of the, the ancient Greek and Roman cultures. And it just makes the case that actually, you know, the people who gave us democracy and logic and mathematics actually had a deeply profound ritualistic religious experience and structure at the same time that actually probably influenced early Christianity. I haven't read the whole thing. I don't know the whole argument, but I would strongly recommend it. Um, There's something else I wanted to, to touch on there. Oh, yeah. In regards to increasing secularization, which is totally true, right? We're becoming more and more like godless cultures each and every day. But the other thing that people don't so readily accept is the fact that yeah but people are also becoming more and more miserable it's like how's your how's your godless world going for you bro like you're miserable and yeah that doesn't mean that the knee-jerk response has to go back to just blind belief in whatever someone tells you but there is a middle ground of like i again direct experience like i need to come to an experience of this is there's more to this story than what i can speak that what science can show because there is you know this is also like you know dogmatic belief in science is called scientism it's a thing it's possible it is very real there are limitations to the scientific method there are limitations to what science knows about uh the very nature of reality uh that grows more and more yearly and yeah it's you know you can do both and in this too you know, science is a great way to study what is, but it's not a great way to explain what the fuck this is <laughs> or why it's here. Right, Court. <laughs> That's it. Oh, I was driving and I was looking at uh, like a really a, a new skyscraper, or like a skyscraper, and I thought it was very beautiful. What came up to me was like sort of, I think the, because I came from it, so I understand it. And so I can also recognize it in others because it was within me. And well, yeah, not definitely not anymore, <laughs> but it it's um sort of like the human ingenuity stuff. So instead of God being God, now the intellect, the mind, that's God, human ingenuity, yeah. that's God. But you know, there's a funny thing, you know, you look around us and you see all the things we've built and they're so beautiful. Um, and they're amazing. 
And you say, well, like God didn't give us to us. We did this ourselves, our own hard work with our own minds. But if you ask a very simple question, well, how did you get that? Like, did you make that? <laughs> or were you given the intellect? Yep. Is it a gift? Oh, oh. <laughs> so that's where you stumble. That's where the mind stumbles because it can't explain it. Um, it can't explain source. It can only explain the effects of stuff. There's another yep. interesting one, which... Um, I think the antidote to this or the a path that will probably be paved out in the future because it seems to be the natural bridge is the map of consciousness because that's the only way it's without belief. It's um, here is what is truth. Here is what is falsehood. And so you can know beforehand without actually experiencing it for yourself that this is up here and this is without truth. This is the truth. This is without truth. And these are the different levels and these are the different paradigms that you can live in. And they're not bad. They're not worse. Each has their own limitations um, and their own problems. <laughs> you know, you've got the problems at every level. Um, yeah, Hawking says your problem at level 500 is that you're not a level 600. <laughs> so it's like it, they're not, none of them are better or worse. They're all different, completely different paradigms. And uh, there are just this really big limitations in the, realm of the intellect which to me i can see has to do with heart they're not there's not that heart there's not that love there's not really there with the intellect because I, I can recognize it more clearly with each day within me when something i say is coming from the intellect or when it's coming from the heart from you know like uh the experience the, the love and there's just these massive limitations and yeah, I mean, it's all a gift, you know, the intellect's a gift <laughs> given. Um, what was I going to, I was going to say, there's this very interesting one, which I actually never sat with. I realized upon retrospect, it never sat with me in school, which is to do with life and like the explanations for life and even the explanations for the universe. I never could quite understand the explanation for the, how the universe began because I was always stuck with how did it come from nothing? <laughs> how did something come from nothing? Like they're just two completely different things. How did that occur? And what I realized was something um, recently listening to Hawking's lectures, something else that came up was life. How did life come from non-life? Like how did inert matter turn into life? Because those two things are completely different. Like it's sort of absurd to say genes, there was a sudden mutation and life began, but they're completely different qualities, completely different. And so that there's just so much, so much that the limitation with studying the effect and not looking at the source, which is invisible and sort of immeasurable. Yeah. This is one of the, this is one of the classic ways you can poke the, the dominant science narrative where it's like science is like oh, we have no room for miracles here All right this is a no miracle zone everything is completely explainable given enough time and you know there's the point of like so how did all the energy in the universe just spontaneously pop into existence from absolutely nothing which is again the theory the theory of the big bang and the response is like oh we'll, we'll show you eventually Right. We'll, we'll prove that eventually. And that's the exact same argument as like, yo, God is going to show up one day. Like, it's just, there's not even a, a felt difference for me in the two of those answers where it's like, 
Or science is like, we can explain everything if you grant us one miracle. And that one miracle is that everything spontaneously started happening one day. All the all the energy in the universe just appeared. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, we don't know why. I don't even know if we can reach that, you know, a recognition why, but we'll get there. But we'll get there. It's like the same wording as like, yeah, but God will come one day and he will explain this all to you, right? And it will all come. It's like the exact same energy of just like, this is miraculous and it will be explained eventually. Exact yeah, same take. Be, I think it would be a lot more honest and more powerful actually for the answer to be, I don't know. Like we can explain these things. We can do all these things and they seem to help us. But it's actually... Oh, we don't know. <laughs> In fact, don't yeah. really know anything. Uh, we can just measure stuff and make theories about them that seem to help people in certain ways. And yet more problems seem to come up also at the same time. <laughs> um, so, yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a good one though. That's a, I've never seen that one before that it's actually the same thing, the same dogma, um, the same mm-hmm. blind belief. Yeah, I just need one miracle. <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of it. Yeah, it's wild. It's wild. Um, that's why I'm a fan of um, more, definitely more of a fan of homeschooling these days because, I mean, the it's great. Structure is great. Structure is great. You know, it's helpful. It provides the stability, the security, this opportunity to grow um, in a structured way. <laughs> um, but at the same time. What if the curriculum, just because lots of people believe something doesn't mean it's true. It's very simple. Like the curriculum sort of ingrains you with a certain doctrine, which, which, which doesn't leave a lot of room for faith, for beauty. You know, if you believe that everything is, if, cause that's what everyone's taught in school, that everything's just a bunch of balls bouncing around, billiard balls bouncing around in space. How does, how, how, how would that affect one's well-being? <laughs> It'd be like, it doesn't really leave room for meaning for, for life. It's just like, yeah, it's all just stuff bouncing around without even exploring it. Like not even saying that that might not be the case. There's another option. It doesn't even explore that. It just says, this is how, this is how it is. Um, yeah, and honestly, I find these explanations kind of awful like just awful in general because most people don't even believe it even if they buy into scientific materialism because like the whole thing is like well your conscious experience is just a matter of neurochemical firings in your head passing around electrical signals and so like yeah you know if i kick your dog you're not actually feeling emotional pain there's just a set of reactions going on to you and like no one believes that like no one believes that like there there will be yeah, there'll be scientists in the laboratory who are like, yeah, you know, this is determined, it's preset, the material is all that matters, and then go home and tell their family how much they love them. <laughs> it's like, your theory doesn't even include space for the experience of love, at least in the way that you sense it. Like, it's just, it's a, there's like, there's performative contradictions where it's like, the way you act actually is contradicting what you're saying to me Mm. like you're saying this is all just inert meaningless stuff and yet you act then why why do you care if your life has meaning 
Like, why do you care about purpose? Why would you rather be happy than sad if they're all just firings in your head, just balls bouncing around? Like, yeah, the way people act is different than their belief system. And this circles back to the beginning where it's like, yo, actually noticing that is where you suffer. Or even if you don't uh, notice it in awareness just yet, if your actions contradict your beliefs, you will likely suffer whether consciously or unconsciously for a fair bit of time until you bring all that into alignment. Everything is perfect. Whatever's arising within us is, is, is whatever's arising within us. And there might, there's probably some sort of wisdom to it, something to learn definitely. And maybe that something to learn will bring us to something very beautiful, more beautiful. Um, being about what kind of culture would we want to live in is this the only I, like, I think charles is the one who said this it's like just taking a moment to sort of just be like well is this actually what we want like this yeah this culture this the way we do things you know with at the same time without making it wrong because that's a trap yeah. <laughs> just to be like well is there another way is there another way to go about things or is this how we would like to be where does this lead us as a human species it's like redecorating your room it's like is this this the environment you want to live in because there's this you know this almost gets into like capitalism and and global culture where it's like no one is forcing humanity to live like this we can live however we damn well please so long as we you know there's some collective agreement that this is how things are going to operate and yeah there's just this open question of like is this it is this is this how i want to relate to people do i want to have to like look at my phone when i walk past someone because i'm not sure they're open and receptive to me like it's this is also very strange because this is a global culture that doesn't believe in like predetermined stuff from god and yet we act as though forces outside of our control shape how the world is right now and it's like no this is entirely up to us you know we made the decision to allow for all buildings to be tall square and gray and largely ugly and we could actually change that right now like and yet we act as though that's not the case and yeah i think culture is the central point to all of this because the second the culture wants it to be different it is different you know we're a culture that values convenience and now you can get literally everything delivered to your door in two days like you we willed that into existence pretty quickly and yeah you know i think if cultures had different values or were actually just even clear about what they value and started not talking about it but acting and embodying it yeah it could be it could be however you want And like, uh, let's let's start there. Anything come up for you there? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, what came up was the not knowing and also the difficulty for the individual, you know, because a culture is made up of individuals, lots of collective, like you were saying, collective decisions. But there's a certain threshold where things become, it's easier for like most people to pick it up. Whereas when it's very new and it's not really the 
what most people how they live in a very different way or whatever it's it's like sort of oh that's just like a thing that for those for the for those ones it's not and it's a lot harder for people to try to experiment with it for themselves like i see this with myself because there's just this this story around us going on that this is how things are and if you think things are different well i mean you're look again everyone else is this way <laughs> this is how things are um and this is this is the way and it's it's quite hard for the i find it with myself quite it's difficult for the individual um and so that's why i'm interested in the phoenix culture to see well is this like a collective for for wax like us <laughs> to play around with ideas and also i really like what you said about embodying it because that's actually the most difficult um difficult part and it's very helpful to have people for me one of the things that makes it eat the only thing maybe that makes it doable to embody the gift based for me is charles or to just know that there are people who do it already and it works for them that that's what i mean it's difficult and i can imagine how difficult it would have been for the first people to try to be in a different way than the normal way which is you know you have your house you have your family you have your income and you, you you're a good Samaritan, you contribute to society and there's like nothing wrong with that at the same time, but you know, maybe there's a different way of being. That's like the simple question, the simple thing, <laughs> the thing that resonates. Yeah. The sneaky, the sneaky thing with that is like, yeah, most people contribute to this in, in good faith. You know, I'm just trying to, you know, get by just trying to give my kids a good life. And there's also the sense of, well, I didn't build this, so it's not my fault. And it's like, yeah, but you perpetuate it and you benefit from it. And also just how do you sit with the recognition that this thing is seriously impacting the potential for the future of humanity and just the beauty and the grace of the planetary ecosystem that we live in? Like there's a level of just, you know, take responsibility. Yeah, you didn't build it, but you can fix it. Or again, you know, fixing language, we get into mm -hmm. semantics, but it's like, you can contribute to it. You can show up for it. You can help steward it. Well, what I really like the wording is um, Charles again. I said, how we are is like a prayer for the world we want. Yeah. That's the really beautiful one, which is devoid of fixing or make wronging. It's just a prayer like, could the world be this way i don't know but i'll try yeah um yeah yeah that yeah, is that was the that is true what you said about it well you know we were talking earlier about how how the process of personal transformation can be somewhat painful right um that was largely the the driving factor in the phoenix mythology and using the phoenix as a symbol because i think most commonly it's used as a symbol of death and rebirth Right, it's this great, beautiful being that, at the end of its life, voluntarily bursts into flames and is reborn from the ashes. And there's always this, you know, when you're doing deep self transformation, that's what it can feel like. Like, damn, I'm actually letting go of an old identity and stepping voluntarily into a new one. Mm. And there's this weird thing, you know, we were talking about all life basically does is make novelty, synthesize it, and evolve. It's actually weird that as a culture, we try to stagnate everything. Like, let's just make everything look the exact same for the next forever. 
Like this is exactly how it should be. We've somehow magically landed on the perfect instance of all of this. And it's like, I don't think that's the case at all. And so with the, you know, we kind of made the case for why culture is so fundamental. And so the, the Phoenix culture is just the idea that one of the core values, if not the core value of a sustainable culture should be a continual self-renewal. Like this is maybe the best we could do right now, but it's not the forever thing. Like what would the next evolution of this look like? What, what is the next beautiful instance of this? And just a commitment to being like, you know, I tried my best. I'm going to, I can do better now. Let me go do better now that I know better. But I think, um, you know, you run into so much resistance trying to enact any change, even if it's for good stuff, like, Hey, you know, we probably shouldn't pollute the oceans. It's like, yeah, you know, whatever. I don't have time for that. And there just needs to be this commitment at the level of the values and principles of the culture itself to continually reinvent itself. Mm. And that whole ethos, that whole like frequency is, has been the basis of some of the Phoenix culture ideas so far. Yeah. So for li people listening, Phoenix culture is Eric's website. Um, could you describe a little bit about it in a short, concise way? For anyone who doesn't and never heard of it before. Yeah. And I mean, I put the website up yesterday, so I don't think anyone will have heard of it yet. It's a very, it's a very nice period where it feels like both the culmination of a lot of work and also the first step. Oh, um, so, you know, we, I think we kind of just covered both the reason I think culture is central to all of this. Another way to say it is any any change that doesn't take deep roots within the culture is inevitably just going to kind of burn itself down. It's just not going to last, right? Culture is the thing that perpetuates everything. It's the thing we use to shape the world. Um, and we are an increasingly globalized culture. You know, there's no country on earth that can produce everything its citizens needs by itself at this point. And so, you know, the stakes are high, right? A long time ago, if a culture died, it was very local. You know, the Mayans collapsed, right? Now it's like, if culture collapses, we all collapse. The stakes are very high. Um, we spoke about the we spoke about the mythology of the phoenix, right? This a recognizing that it's a beautiful, goddamn mythical being, and to live in the boldness of that, but also this commitment to perpetual self transformation and a kind of death and rebirth cycle. Um, so from that, from that ethos, because both of those things are intangible, right? Culture is a set of like values, norms, beliefs, ideas, principles, none of which are actually tangible, but they take root and they bubble up into physical manifestations, right? right? Like the, the fact that everyone is okay with tall gray square buildings came from a shared either value or lack of a value. Like, yeah, actually beauty needs a place in the world. And you can see, you can, you can essentially slot in like where on the priorities list, our global culture has beauty. And it's probably not as high as any of us would individually place it, but somehow it just got put lower down on the ranks because you know what ease of scaling uh, was placed higher up or like cost efficiency was placed higher up like stuff like that. And yeah, to, 
I think to your point, like, you know, we are now increasingly being called to ask, is that what we want? Because again, this is up, it's up to us to choose all of this, right? We actually get a choice and say in the matter. Why I'm doing this at all is kind of 50-50 on two reasons. The first is just, I've been sitting a lot with the question of, if you could do anything with life, what would you do? Mm, yeah. You know, stewarding a culture seems quite exciting for me right now. So I'm going to spend some time doing that. Like, again, just contributing to the flow of life, contributing to the evolution of humanity, giving, giving, yeah, you know, some of the people who might feel differently, who do feel like there's a more beautiful world in their heart, like giving them a home, giving them a culture to exist within. Um, that's a big one. So just how would I spend my time if I could do anything? I would definitely build a culture with cool people. Um, and it's also the other half of the coin is I also think it's the thing that is most needed in the world right now. Like there are a lot of good surface level changes. Like again, uh, regenerative agriculture, uh, better architecture and design, uh, more holistic ways of relating to people. But if they don't find their way in the culture, like if they don't take deep root in a culture, they'll eventually just be lost and forgotten. And so if we're going to make any change that endures for a long time, it needs to come from the culture. And so I think it's just a matter of being intentional about that. Like let's actually talk about how we are designing our cultural operating system, given that it creates literally everything, you know? Mm -hmm creates the food we eat it creates the buildings we live in creates the values that we and ethics that we all uphold mm. it seems pretty important so fusing both of those is okay. uh what i want to do and i think just giving the way it lives is a as a home for people again who can see something different but also giving them the toolkits the support the knowledge the skills the space to become the, the phrasing that I've come to learn and love and use is uh, to become an architect of culture. Like you can build this stuff. You can actually design a beautiful culture. And so I want to just make an army of cultural architects, people who can go out into the world and be that little beacon of like, here's, uh -huh. here's a new world. Here's a new way. Here's my redesign of our global bedroom. What do you guys think? Right. Right. I see. I think I see it. Yes. Yeah, sorry. I see it and let me know if how I see it is how you intend me to see it. <laughs> it's like a space for people to come together and explore different ways of being and then actually embodying that and just being that in the world um, on a cultural level. So cultural value systems. And so does that pertain to like money and how to relate to others and, and, like yeah what value systems the does that sort of have a place for the for well it sounds like it has a different place for like different economics so like very foundational stuff yeah the way the the way this has landed for me and i, I will actually start my response here with just a point of like this is something that has been bubbling up in me for a while 
again, it's not something I want to claim ownership of because I didn't make any of these ideas. I just synthesized them and evolved from stuff that I'd come across. It's also something that I'd like in whatever form it takes to actually just be given to the culture. Like, I don't want to own this. I, I think private ownership is something we as a global culture need to get away from. Um, to address your point, so there was this question of like, if someone dove fully in and actually lived as part of this culture, what would they do? Like, what would their life actually look like? And from that, these like different landing pads have come up. Something like an academy, like they'd actually commit to their own ongoing evolution. So learning, growing, practicing. There's a kind of institute, which, yeah, I see as like this incubator or mastermind group or accelerator for projects that have potential, mm. right? decentralized finance, regenerative agriculture. There's a whole lot of really amazing stuff being done and authentic relating practices, like a whole bunch of stuff we haven't even come up with yet. Yeah. So giving people a home to kind of tinker with the tools that people could go out and use in culture, right? Like what's an example? I really like the circling method. It's a way of, it's like a conversational tool a way to like get some insight and some humanness back in conversation. And like, you know, you see it in political debates, you see it in one-on-one -on -one discussions in people, like we're terrible at having conversations. We're terrible at coming to shared agreement. We're terrible at understanding other people. So I would love to put a bunch of people who give a damn together and invent better conversational tools. Right. Or the same thing with like, yeah, new alternative ways of living like re bring back community, bring back tribal living structures, like just testing stuff that works and actually giving them a space. Because right now there's a lot, a lot of these, a lot of these groups are largely homeless in a sense, right? They're the, they're the black swans that don't quite fit in. And it's like, no, you're actually seeing something that other people don't like. I want you to come. I want you to level up and I want you to go bring that back into the world. Hmm. Yeah, so it sounds really immersion to me then. That's very cool. Like mm -hmm. everyone partakes in it. So if there's anyone that's interested, then everyone partakes and it grows and emerges of its own, basically. <laughs> like I I definitely have what I, I have like things I would put as like big goals or dreams for it. But I'm also just interested to seeing A, what kind of group comes together with it and B, what they want to do. Like an example would be, there are some more practical stuff. Like I think the academy would have some sort of like a membership model, even just because the act of investing makes you give a damn about the thing more, right? And so, um, you know, I think there would be ways that the culture itself makes money and then what I would love to do is like give people a way to get ownership in the entire thing, right? If you've stayed at a physical center, if you've done some of the work for a few years, you now get like, I don't want to say equity in the culture, but you get a stake. And then with that, you could actually vote on what the culture does next. Like, does it go out and build something? Does it bring people in? Does it put more money in the school than the institute or the physical spaces like and yeah there are a bunch of ways you can do that you could create a token 
You could use decentralized governance apps so that the community actually votes for how the community grows. Like, I would love if all of that stuff ended up becoming possible. I'm not sure it will, but like, hey, we'll see. <laughs> you know, it's it's just a, to your point earlier, it's like, this is a vote for the world I would like to live in. Like something like collective governance rather than governance by the few or like oligarchies that we have now. Like, okay, can you put in the, can you plant the seed for that to take shape? Or like, you know, other forms of currency. Like, all right, where does that take root? Where do you actually start with that? You know, having people feel like they live in community. Like, okay, what does that look like? Where do you put people? Yeah, so it's both an idea that I have and a project I'm delivering to the world, but it's also something I hope will just emerge from the people who find an interest in it. Like, I want other people to build this just as much as I want to build it. Hmm. No, that sounds very exciting actually um to put lots of people i've partaken in similar things like growing village where people interested mm -hmm. in community and different ways of being uh come together and i think that's really valuable because you're not stuck <laughs> with yourself <laughs> and your own mind and your own limitations you can um speak about it with others and collectively come to something um I like the way you said for others who are interested in it to come. So it's not like forcing anything. It's just the way of the way of conceptualize it is like putting the bat signal out, you know, Batman, when they need Batman to come, they just put the big sign up in yeah. the sky and it's like, yo, yeah, that's what I'm doing here. I'm parking up like a home base. And like, mm -hmm. yo, if you want to come and do this working community, um, let's, let's make it happen. Let's make it happen. I think there's a lot of, because, you know, the way that landed for me with what you just said is like, that's what civilization is doing. It's a bunch of people building stuff and this is what we've built. And so, yeah, if you want to build something different, get a bunch of people who all share similar values, who ideally actually define and deeply embody their own values and have them do stuff together. Hmm. Yeah, there's so, there's a lot of bat signals, a little a lot of different yeah. things, and it's um I can like using that same analogy. Some some signals are very bright and very easy to see, and others are so dim and so because there's just not many of them. No, you don't don't come across them. Like for example, Facebook ads are riddled with like the same light um, delivered in different ways, but it's the same light pointing to the same thing which isn't wrong or bad but you know the question goes well is there something else you know to me the big light is scalability have a big scalable business impact lots of people's lives but it um and deliver you know your services and make some good money and this like that's fine that's great but like what if there's something else what does that look like that light doesn't really shine very bright. <laughs> it doesn't shine very bright. Yeah. Because I can see it in, in the way they, because the common thing used is like the story of how like the financial struggle and then how this business led to financial freedom. But then there's the question of like, well, is there this communal way where you, 
there there is a completely different way where people share there isn't like like you were saying like an ownership specifically but it's more shared and whatever is needed is given is, is that a possibility how does that look like <laughs> and yeah, and there yeah. there are a lot of open questions here too like this is a great example like the amazon fulfillment like e-commerce guru dudes where it's like yo i made a bunch of money on facebook ads selling amazon products made in china like most people actually like envy that or like look at that really highly and it's like yo you just ripped a bunch of shit out of the earth turned it into plastic crap and sold it to a bunch of people who probably didn't need it like is that useful (laughs) and actually like i think we just need to start asking questions like that where it's like well it is defined as useful based on the values we have as a culture Mm. just like the american dream the self-made man all of that it's like again this goes back to the recurring question here of like well is that is that what we want you you know that's a perpetuated game that's going to end eventually that's the funny one you said about the self-made man because that really resonates with me that's sort of the pressure i feel is to go out big go big build something big make lots of money and not even make lots of money it's not necessarily about money it's about sort of the self-made man as you said you know success as seen in a certain way to me it's like living by yourself um being self-sufficient which again there's nothing wrong with that if every you know everything has its place but the heart doesn't call to that it wants something else yeah. um, it's more like well you know what's wrong with just being happy what's like seriously like what's i just find that this is pressure but i'm and when i look at it and i reframe it but isn't there something just beautiful but just living at home just walking my dog just smiling at people you know living i i like i enjoy living off the wealth of my family it has the wealth i don't need anything i don't want anything but there's this pressure to do something to be something you know and i just find that quite curious like because I, I can feel it as an inner pressure. So, but at the same time, I see that it doesn't resonate. But at the same time, I see that it has, you know, these like there are these beautiful aspects to it, like the self sufficiency in the sense of like inner self sufficiency. Um, so it's it, there's, there's, it's riddled with ups and downs, huh? It's 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 just this like you were saying, a whole thing of open questions more than answers. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, they, uh, th- this is definitely a favorite hobby horse of mine, which is just straight up the, there's no such thing as a self-made man. Like that whole thing is full of shit. Um, the, the obvious examples being like, you know, all the business gurus who tell you that they did everything themselves. And the easy questions are like, well, did you make all your food growing up? Did you grow all your food? Because you needed to be alive to be a self-made man and you would have died if you didn't have any food and you didn't make all your food. So you depended on an entire fulfillment system that probably involved hundreds of thousands of people to get meals to your plate. Or like, did you invent English, right? The system that you use to do all of the work in your life? Like, no. Like this is is almost the, the free will stuff we were talking about earlier where it's like, the amount of stuff in your life that you can directly attribute to you is closer to zero than a hundred. <laughs> like you, you stand on the shoulders of absolute giants. You stand on the shoulders of humanity and the culture that birthed you. 
right? And God, so you're not all that. <laughs> you, yeah, exactly. Like you are, you are an individual sovereign person. That's not in like that's not in denial. But you're definitely not self-made. Even just the ridiculous fact of like, well, you didn't birth yourself. Like you have parents. Like there's so many ways that this argument just completely falls apart. Like all you really did was show up. You just showed up for life that kept putting stuff in front of you. And most like that's not a bad thing. So that that's a big one where it's like the self-made man thing is just not real. You are an inextricable part of global culture. You are part of humanity. You're not separate from it. You have benefited from everything every human has ever done. Um, and actually, you just, you prompted an amazing, like, almost an insight for me. Because we spoke about this before recording. But also, it's just been coming up in me of like, how do how do you reconcile? Well, reality is not broken, and it does not need to be fixed. With this sense of like, yeah, but I should be showing up and doing stuff and changing the world and saving the planet and all of this stuff. Like those things are very much at odds. And it was your pressure comment because growing up, a lot of the pressure to do that stuff is external. You know, people telling us or the unspoken norms of like, you have to do shit. You have to justify your existence. You have to be working really hard. Like the planet's in danger. You need to do something about it. It's all this external pressure that like pushes you down and makes you feel really bad. But the way even this project has come up for me is it's like boiling water. The pressure that comes from boiling water, where if you have the lid on the pot and it like pushes the lid off, it's an internal pressure where it's like, it's actually very difficult for me to hold this stuff back now, right? right? It's yeah, something yeah. It's something of life that wants to come up. And I've tried to keep it at bay for a freaking long time. <laughs> and like just getting in my own way and stuff. But now it's, you know, the voice and the inclination and the drive just becomes so great that it's like, I have to do this. This is just absolutely necessary at this point. It's becoming more difficult for me not to do this than to actually just take the steps forward and i think that is the that is the pressure that you should act on the one that comes from internal because again we spoke about this like that is life coming up through you that mm -hmm. is the part of life that wants to contribute to the world and oh there's something here of what actions are going to be more beneficial for the future oh i was just about to <laughs> <laughs> exactly like honestly the the cascade effects of like being nice to someone in the bus like on a on a public bus could cascade into such ridiculous things way more than you know your fantasy of the massive business that you're building like just being comfortable with yourself and giving that to other people could have as much of an impact on the evolution of humanity as whatever project it is you think you're building. So yeah, like I don't, again, this goes back to like, nothing is wrong here. If what is coming up in you is just to cultivate your own peace and relationship with the world, honor that. It's coming up for a reason. If what's coming up in you is like, yo, I have a like artistic project I wanna make, 
okay, go do that. Like you just don't know. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think you should, again, if everyone honored fully where they were at and what's coming up with them, I think we'd be surprised what the world would look like. That's um, well said. The not knowing, I think that's the, 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 the yep. place where this is, because we just don't know. Like you said, that's what I also like. This one be like, don't really know what's going to lead to what, or how it's going to influence what. You know, you know, I, we have a certain yeah. story and a certain image that we sort of is normalized and unconsciously quite has its own gravitational field which is, you know, to be something, to do something, but we don't actually know what will influence what somehow, you know? (laughs) And like, that's also why at the beginning of this whole description, you know, I started like literally 50% of this stuff is like, yo, if I could do anything, if I'm just going to pass my time here in this life, what would I do? Hmm. Like, or another way to I think frame that that can be really helpful is like, if you're going to do something knowing that it would fail, what would you do? Just because the process would be cool, even yeah. if it didn't work out. And it's like, yeah, just as much as, you know, I definitely have experiences and beliefs and thoughts and ideas that lead me to the conclusion that this actually has very beneficial potential for humanity in the world there is literally just as much an equal force of like well this is what i would do because i think it's cool it's mm-hmm. very much like there's a woman named tony lane casserly who was super influential for me and she spoke of immaterialism as an art project which is basically like using consciousness as your canvas Like you can think of your life as a masterpiece. Like if your life was a song, what would it sound like? Or if your life was a painting, what would it look like? Right. And there's part of just the masterpiece that I would like to create the art project that I would like to work on the clay that I would like to mold is a culture. Like that just seems like it would be cool. Like that's a great way to paint. And so, yeah, just as much as I think it's, it's, has potential in the world and for the world it's also just something that i think would be awesome to work on yeah and i think they're both equally valid oh so something you said before about justify existence um it resonated for some reason <laughs> quite a lot i think there might be this tendency to have to justify our existence actually because of the way we grow up um yep other factors as well but that's i would say a big contributor is the you know i mean very early on it's like what are you going to do what are you going to be what are you gonna, no, 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 no. yeah <laughs> uh, rather than just being just enjoying life which you see more in like native cultures where they just kind of relax and dance and just have fun um there's already that there's that sacredness Im- imbued within their their culture and what I was going to say was that this sort of process of um, like fun and emerging and you don't really know how you're going to influence or what's going to influence what is not really logical. It's totally not based in logic. It's very like just intuitive and whatever resonates with you, which can be difficult, especially coming from a Western mind, which is very rooted in logic and um, the explainable 
and the reasonable and the justifiable. So this is, that can be something that I think might, might help people to be aware of this, that, just that, that's all. <laughs> um, yeah. Cause I could see that in myself, like, you know, the logical thing is to follow the, the structure because that's like going back to, that's where the grooves have been formed where the grooves haven't really been formed much is that the, the sacredness of just trusting whatever's coming up um, and exploring it is not something that's really necessarily, if anything, it might be pushed away than um, cultivated. Be like, no, don't do that. Do this instead. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's something that's a great insight, I think for me um to have received you see received <laughs> yeah there's a that pulled at my heart a little bit because it's such a good intention of like there your well-being can genuinely increase a lot if you have something that you really devote yourself to whether that's spiritual practice, whether that's engagement with life, whether that's mastering something that you care about, like there's a deep sense of well-being that comes from that. So when like your parents or your culture tell you like, yo, what do you want to do? Like, what could you really devote yourself to? That actually often comes from a place of like, yo, you know, I care about your well-being. This is a significant factor in your well-being. Give it some thought but it just comes off all the time as like, you need to pick something. You need to become a part of this. You have to justify your right to be here and to get all the beautiful gifts of God. That's funny. We'll, we'll loop all the way back because this stuff has deeply religious origins, you know, starts in the Christian notion of original sin. Like you did something wrong. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but you're here on earth to prove to me that you're worthy so you can come back up and hang out with us. <laughs> and that that evolves into like the Protestant work ethic, just like idle, idle hands do the devil's work, right? You need to constantly be working to show your discipline and devotion to God. The Protestants were the motherfuckers who ported themselves over to North America, and it just became the cult of productivity that we have now where people are literally uncomfortable when they're not working because they think they're worthless. And it's like, again, this is like a cultural thing where it's like, is that actually the value that we want to have? Do we want an entire culture of people who feel bad for just being alive, who feel like they need to prove themselves to be worthy of the gift of existence? Like, again, I'm not, I'm not here to tell anyone that their answer is wrong. It's just like, you should answer those questions for yourself and then ask like, yeah. So what would a, what would a culture that answered those questions differently look like? Like, what if you were allowed to be here? What if you're worthy of living? How do you actually express that in the world? It would probably look way different. Yeah. People would feel wow. way different. That, that's really powerful. You know, just phrasing those questions so openly, um, it's just so it's so cool because it kind of goes back to effort and effortlessness to me because if you really just pose a question just to yourself and if there's really a sincerity at just being open to whatever comes from it there's like an effortless transformation that occurs 
like you said, like my heart was touched. It's kind of like that pulled. It's like if you if the heart is touched, then some transformation just occurs without effort. It's not effort <laughs> without work. It's just openness um, and willingness that brings it. Um, and just a willingness to ask questions. The way I see it is like, whatever the truth will be is whatever the truth is. Like whatever best is best for humanity is what's going to be best for humanity. If we're willing to question whether this is what's best for humanity first. And if it is, then great. We'll continue this way. Cool. But if it's not, then at least we'll know. And at least we'll have opened a door to something else. But I think that's something if going back to culture, we all have to ask ourselves if that's what we want, <laughs> we'll have to ask ourselves whether this is the way we want things to be. And I think you, that question is also one I like to play with. Like if I could be in any way, what would it be? Yeah. And playing with that to be like, would I, like, I think, like, I think we've said this in past episodes as well, the question of what would a beautiful world look like? And do I value a world of, like you know hyper productivity lots of convenience that's fine if you do then that's great that's awesome but like or do i value a more beautiful world and would a more beautiful world would that still have the same conveniences maybe it would maybe it wouldn't maybe some conveniences would be sacrificed for something more beautiful and so although at the time it might seem like a sacrifice as the more beautiful emergent thing emerges turns out it's not a sacrifice at all and you're kind of insane to have that at the, the first time <laughs> um yeah w which is like just something very small like i was watching like the native people how they you know they stitched their stuff their things for the food and they would put it on this on the fire and burn it and stuff and you know there's a longer process there might be seen as a sacrifice in some cases but at the same time is it also really incredible connection to the food you eat to the trees that grow around you because you're using them to live <laughs> um and you're very aware of it very aware of it because you're literally st stitching these things so it, what seems like a sacrifice of convenience and time turns out to be a gift of connection to the place around you and where you are and you're very happy to contribute and spend time in, in this way without necessarily, which comes back to me, which is also a kind of a raging question within me, is the scalability, this, that, that pull again, the pressure for scalability and um, impact. But without really going deeper, I think there's something deeper and be like, well, what are we scaling towards? <laughs> and and yeah. is it maybe better to just, instead of having a great impact, to just actually have just a light footprint, just to not impact people, just smile, not like in that way, you know, like lots of pushing kind of your services. Maybe it is, but maybe it isn't. That's what the question is, you know. I'm sure it's different for different cases, yeah. Yeah, damn. Like this stuff is amazing. And yeah, there's always nuance to this stuff, right? Like we can talk about all this and still recognize that we are living right now in the peak of recorded human history period like you can both there's a there's a zen proverb or a quote or something that i really like which is like you're perfect just the way you are and you could use a little work 
and just actually being able to hold both of those things and you can yeah you can zoom that up to like the civilizational level where it's like yeah this is the best we've ever done but this is not the ending and there's always this sense of like oh we're done like this is as good as it's going to get it's like says who man again it, this is what i meant by like it's weird when we want to just keep the status quo because life never does that life just introduces new things remixes them and keeps on rolling and to to want to just lock things in forever is strange yes we want to keep the benefits of what we already've got but like we're not done we're not static this is a dynamic evolving thing and we always move beyond that you know we've been talking about charles eisenstein a fair bit and the one the one thing and i think it's a question that a lot of people should ask is like i think it's reasonable to say if we're going to consider any form of culture beautiful it should be one that actually continues so that more people can enjoy it mm. and yeah there are a lot of really solid arguments that if global slash western culture as it is today continues it will end it will end the whole game and it's very difficult to actually sit with yourself and be like yeah that's beautiful like yeah if i continue doing things the way they are i'm going to end it for everyone and yeah i think you know sit with yourself ask yourself that question is that is that valuable is that something i want to contribute to and yes actually the alternative can be overwhelming where it's like yeah i'm just one person what am i supposed to do about that and this is also a big root for the phoenix culture stuff where it's like well i want to give people a the embodied belief and b the external tools to go from you know like a the way i've loved it is like a matrix reference like npc like non-player character to a player in culture to an architect where they actually build the systems <laughs> and it's like this is also the self-made man fallacy right where it's like well actually you're not going to nor could you solve these problems yourself you're going to do them in a group and fortunately you have a group here right you have a culture with you of people committed to this process so come together level up go change the world go <laughs> contribute to the evolution of humanity like yeah you're you're part of a unit here you can't not be part of a unit you're a part of humanity so yeah, like th those two things are really present. Like if we continue things the way they are, it will end. That's probably not great. So let's start building a, an example. Let's start building a real example of what a different way of living that wouldn't end itself looks like. Mm -hmm. You know, we've talked about indigenous cultures a lot. Like they are the only living cultures that haven't inevitably ended themselves every civilization like proper civilization that has ever existed does not exist right now <laughs> right the time span of civilization is like roughly a thousand years like greek civilization you know uh, crumbled under its own weight mayan civilization ended like everything every civilization that has ever existed ended it's the rule not the exception and that's also troublesome because they were localized groups. 
we are no longer localized. If this civilization ends, the whole thing goes down. And perhaps only once again, like the indigenous could survive that because they have a way of perpetuating themselves that we have moved away from. And so it's this like both and as always, it's like, all right, can we build a culture that has holistic enough values and systems that it can at least on a foundational level, not blow itself up. <laughs> like if we're going to start anywhere, like we should probably start there and then we can get into the bigger things of like, well, can it actually orient around human flourishing? Can it actually orient around being generative instead of extractive to the ecology that it lives within? Like those are really great questions, but very definitely have to Great. Yeah. yeah thanks. We have to start at the point of freaking, well, let's make sure this thing can perpetuate itself, that it can actually, and it's strange because that is the norm of life. Like life continues to perpetuate itself. And we have steered so violently from that. We're actually like the one thing out of alignment with nature because we're, we've set a expiration date for ourselves. Mm. Yeah. Well, I like the, for me, it's the, the, well, what you said around valuing around human flourishing sort of around the flourishing of beauty even if to presume that out that we wouldn't expire ourselves just to ask whether we'd like to go the way we're headed and whether we'd like um to what you said about extracting because everything's because growth requires an ex <laughs> the way the economy is growing and needs stuff to be extracted right well could we then have some sort of other way where we yep. grow uh, and in a different way, in a different direction um, towards beauty and not, and, you know, just being <laughs> more, more of a culture of just being where it's more normalized to just be when the normal questions people ask you are just like, you know, whatever, like, how are you? <laughs> different yeah. very different um because you notice it in the first questions people there's massive identification with roles uh, instead of with just the essence of what what we are um there's nothing wrong with that but it sure isn't very beautiful <laughs> it sure isn't very beautiful and it pushes and it pressures and puts this invisible pressure to identify with roles because everyone else is identified with roles and so i got to identify with role and i got to be something um yeah rather than well, which kind of comes back to justification of existence to me seems to needing to justify that instead of just like enjoying life and letting and like trusting that whatever when you enjoy life you don't just want to sit on your ass <laughs> it, it yes. tends to be in a creative flow there's a creative flow um or maybe there's not in some case maybe it is just silence but that's also its own expression in that form whatever it is serving life in a different way you know so instead of having to plan everything <laughs> this is the this is the surrender and trust thing yeah right there there's often this baked in assumption of like oh if i surrender i'm just going to be lazy and lethargic and not do anything because i don't care anymore and it's actually like life is extremely dynamic there's very few times it's actually ever still for sustained periods like everything shifts everything changes you will still be a very vital dynamic active being even in surrender 
right? And actually probably more because you're not getting in the way. You have, mm-hmm. you free up so much energetic capacity when you're not trying to micromanage everything and you can funnel it into the next aligned action that comes up inside of you. Hmm. Yeah, and it's just in a piece now instead of trying to control there's just unification and things just flow as they do you can enjoy them and and more trust in them yeah which i think is quite a difficult one going back to the secularism of the culture it's quite difficult um it's something that actually has to be learned and remembered (laughs) Mm -hmm. um because it's there it's just about reowning it um so that's where something like a culture and people that are in touch with it would be really helpful, you know, because there's lots of cultures and lots of Facebook groups, lots of tribes, lots of things for different things, but they're all sort of stemmed in the same culture, which is why I'd never really have resonated yep. with most of them because they just have stemmed in the same culture. So that's why it's exciting to hear about something where people are playing around with and really looking towards the deepest sort of assumptions and what is the deepest the deepest root and then working from that and looking at different ways yeah dude yeah Yeah, i I think the last i think the last thing on that is like we're talking about novelty a lot and then the synthesis for evolution and it's like look i want there to be thousands and thousands of projects and ideas like this mine is just another kind of contribution to that space I don't think there's going to be a single answer. There's not going to be a single thing that changes us. It's going to be everyone coming together, sharing ideas and remixing those into some great synthesis and going from there. And so, yeah, you know, you have, everyone has a unique perspective on reality. They have a signal that no one else can provide. Like, yo, put that out into the world. Mm. Write about it, make a project about it, do art about it talk about it with people but like it's stuck inside of you and it's really helpful to share it because then we as part of life you know we look at the novelty we synthesize it and we evolve Mm -hmm. like yeah so it's just a it's just a contribution and contributions can take many different forms yeah well to finish it up i think uh someone said something really well where he had he's like really come to see that or I've come to believe that everyone sees things in a completely different way and they see something that others don't see and so for everyone listening they see something that we don't see and if we all come together in an open space to share that with each other in an open and curious way um, something beautiful will come which wouldn't have come if that contribution wasn't there if that differing perspective, even if it's not even a, sometimes it's just the presence, um, just the presence of that, that individual who has opened themselves that they provide this energized, you know, because lots of people together who have all worked on each other, like worked, (laughs) we've all let go and kind of surrendered quite a lot. There's a lot of energy to that. Quite a lot of power come uh, a lot more than an individual. Yeah. So that's a very exciting Absolutely. thing, dude. It's been lovely to talk. Thank you very much. <laughs> Have you got any last things if uh, anyone interested in like learning more about this stuff? 
the phoenix man culture <laughs> oh sure i mean the best place to go is phoenixculture.org um there's a much more coherent overview of it and there is a i've called it the magnum opus i have like a living document that is just an ongoing explanation and elaboration of all of this so depending on how deep people want to dive there are resources for that you can start at the surface level and dive a lot deeper if you want to get into the the blueprints and the mechanics behind it sweet and will so will it be will you be having like zoom calls community gatherings online with people and stuff there's a yeah and honestly i think the best place is to to get a sense from the from the site so getting the public stuff up was definitely the first step here the second thing that's yeah yeah the second thing on my radar is i'm calling it the academy phoenix academy which is again a very kind of structured container to do some of that really uh intense inner work so that you can show up and start putting a lot of shit out in the world um and so yeah calls courses community chat um experiments with people a whole lot of stuff coming there but that is i think a few months away as it starts to be built <laughs> Nice. Well, that's beautiful to get a get a glimpse of that, though, and just at least hear that there's this stuff happening. You know, this stuff. Happening. Yeah, and I mean, I think I think two things I would say on that. One is just like a call to action, which is very much like I'm trying to be sincere in the statement of like, look, I'm not I'm not here to own this thing by myself. Right, a culture is not owned by an individual. Uh, so if people want to contribute, like contribute like ask for forgiveness not permission like the entire doc the the magnum opus is available to comment on so feedback is considered send emails like very much a call for community right there and the second thing is like all of this is going to be built in public right everything is going to be transparent everything's going to be open sourced that's the whole idea here is like building a culture and a toolkit that just shares itself and like can replicate itself into the world um so yeah if people follow along there'll be a lot deeper dives into even how this stuff how i thought it through how we got public sites up all the financial models all the hopefully all the tools and techniques that get developed in it it's all just going right back out into the world for people to use sweet well i'll definitely have a deeper read into it (laughs) yeah well, thank you so much for joining. Um, Dude, this is always a pleasure. We cover some ridiculous ground every time. <laughs> I am super impressed. I love it. Yeah, it's good fun, huh? Thank you, everyone, for listening. You heard here. If you want to learn more, you can go. I'll leave the description in the description, the link. Um, phoenixculture.org. And I'll see you uh, next time.